Hello, I'm Anna Bogutskaya. And I'm Clarice Lockery. And this is the Next Supreme San American Horror Story Rewatch Podcast. In this episode, Dandy goes full murder. (laughs) 100% murder, (laughs) 24-7. 52 weeks in the year. Maybe he gets a break for Christmas. And Jimmy tries to drink his grief away. Oh, what an afterthought. Not as sexy as going full murder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Today's episode is titled Tupperware Party Massacre and was written by co-creators Ryan Murphy and Brad Felchuk and directed by Lottie Peristere, who has worked on Buffy, Firefly, Castle Rock, Scream Queens, and actually works mostly as a visual effects designer or supervisor and has picked up awards for his work on Firefly and Ballastar Galactica. And one thing that I really love from his own IMDb page, which I'm not sure he wrote or not, is that his work has creatively inspired the look of modern visual effects cinematography. I feel like I'm going to need a fact check on that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not to, not, uh, no offense atten- intended, but... Um... Mm. yeah (laughs) Yeah. check needed (laughs) (laughs) so shall we begin with dandy's storyline because i feel like his story is the one that runs through the entirety of the episode yes so we kick off with dandy going for a reading with esmeralda slash maggie yeah She is not smart. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I don't know, am I being overly confident in my own skills that if I was in the presence of somebody who just had a clown mask on, that was the only thing that was different about them, and then I re-encountered that person, I'd probably be like, you're that clown mask, dude. <laughs> right? It's the same voice, the same physique. Would you it's not? A, it's the yeah. Superman effect, right? It's like, oh, you you took off your glasses. Who is this? Who was this absolutely new person who has the exact same face as Clark Kent? But, you know, even, <laughs> even like, stupider. <laughs> immensely distinctive voice. She's yes. like, mm, your voice sounds so familiar. Yeah, like, I... You forgot about it already? <laughs> You nearly got murdered, lady. Well, in this universe, some people are victims of attempted murders on a weekly basis, so... (laughs) This this is true. This is true. There is something else that happens with Dandy. So he goes full murder and kills the Avon lady? Well, okay. (laughs) So yeah, he kills the Avon lady then takes her head off and puts her head on her his dead mother and pretends that they're bet and dot and 
Ding dong, Oedipal complex. <laughs> I mean, Freud, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Freud would love American Horror Story Freak Show. Yes. Because, <laughs> what did, I, I don't know, I thought it was actually quite gruesome. Yeah, yes, the 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 bod the corpse puppet was quite gruesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um Dandy. To keep going with Dandy, he is kind of on a mission in this episode. Not so much to regain the Tatler twins, but to punish Jimmy because he sees him as sort of his as the person who robbed him of his one chance at life at love. Um so yeah. Well, you did that to yourself, buddy. <laughs> I mean, well, self-awareness was never a strong suit of Dandy Mods. No. So what do you make of his way of following Jimmy around and infiltrating all of his spaces like the freak show, the Tupperware party, Maggie? There is an obsessive element to it. Mm. I guess this is the thing. It's like we've talked about him having kind of being a bit asexual in his his way that he interacts with people, but there is an obsessive quality to it. Mm-hmm. Like he obsesses over people, but there's not necessarily a sexual element to it. And so it feels like, you know, it feels like, you know, before it was the Tatler twins, that was his only thing that he cared about and 100% focused on. And, you know, with that, I guess his mother, but now, like, the twins are gone, the mom's dead. So he needs, he like, he needs something to, to focus on. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's how he functions. He needs, like, um an object to, I don't even know, because it's, I guess it's control, right? He needs like mm-hmm. something to control, and so he sees Jimmy as his perfect target because um, Jimmy's not doing so well. So no. he he can get his um, well, he's convinced now that he's a god. Basically, that's what's gone down. He has <laughs> had a little blood bath, <laughs> literal blood bath, and and now he's like, I am fully like one of the olympians <laughs> call me daddy zeus <laughs> daddy zeus i am a god <laughs> he is moisturized he is feeling himself he is like i have done my face masks with the blood of my mother i am ready to go on the town in my green pants mm. he is the the vibe of that tough to be a god song from the animated movie Rotel Dorado <laughs> which I'm a great fan of where it's just like fuck it I'm a deity now <laughs> there is something new about Dandy in this episode though I think and it's the fact that he is now turning on the charm offensive for the first time I want to say yeah well I guess he kind of tried it with the Tatler the Tatlers. But this is more manipulative, right? Yeah. Like, he, he sort of, with Maggie to a degree, because as you say, she's not super bright, so she doesn't, like, pick up on who he is immediately. So she falls for it a little bit. But then with the Avon lady, 
with the cop, with the Tupperware party women. It's like he knows what he looks like and what people and how people instinctively trust him because he is a beautiful white man who looks rich, like super rich and probably smells rich as well. Yeah, he's like having his own white boy summer. What's the thing that Chet <laughs> oh Hanks <my> said? <laughs> right? Like, yes, he's like, this, this is, is my time, summer. baby. <laughs> I'm white. I'm rich. I'm a man. <laughs> I'm just going to take a little dip in all my privileges. Just going to swim in all of the benefits that society offers me through no merit of my own. Yeah, and it also feels like, you know, we've had the full transition now of him, mm. you know, embracing the, the serial killer persona. Because yes. that's also kind of part of it. He's, he, like, he knows that he wants to be this. <laughs> and so he's fully performing the part of, like, Ted Bundy-esque, you, yes. you know, serial killer who preys on people through his his white male privilege. And what do you make of, I guess there's two scenes that are really powerful that dig into that. And there's the, the Tupperware massacre scene and the scene with Regina, where she brings in a cop to arrest him. Yeah. And Dandy's like, like, my family makes frozen food. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he talks about one cube of spinach, an empire built on like cubes of spinach. And yeah, he straight up just tells them, I'll pay you $1 million to kill this woman and bury her and just move on with your life. And the cop, who is also a white man, says, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I will do that. The thing that's really chilling, chillingly accurate in this in this scene is just how quickly the cop like doesn't even doesn't even wonder doesn't even like spare a thought to the moral to the moral conundrum in front of him he's like would you like a million dollars it's like boop gonna shoot regina right in the head because also i think what's interesting is the cop like the whole scene is very cleverly plotted out because the cop also comes in like this woman has come up to him and said, hey, <laughs> this guy has admitted to me that he has killed multiple people. And also I saw mm -hmm. him like drawing up a bath of blood. <laughs> <laughs> and like the the reaction from the cop initially is so interesting because like instead of like going to arrest him, bringing dozens of cop cars, you know, <laughs> bringing the full like force of the law upon this man he turns up like you better explain yourself <laughs> you know like it's it, it's such a good like subtle critique mm -hmm. critique of the the profound like base level corruption of the police force that you know this woman has brought evidence of a admitted confessed mass murderer mm. and still his sympathies lie with the white dude oh yeah the rich white <laughs> you know? dude gets the benefit of the doubt even though he literally has like tupperware of blood dotted all around his house yeah and this cop's just like well let's just go in the living room and have a little chat <laughs> no guns 
No yep. um, arrest warrant. I don't know if they needed no that. No cuffs? He didn't no bring cuffs. any cuffs. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, this. I that's, I think, why he doesn't hesitate at all, because this cop was never going to arrest this man. Hmm. And Dandy knew that. Dandy knew, well, I'm obviously going to get away with this because, you know, look at me. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we talk about the Tupperware Massacre scene in particular? Because that's, we don't actually see the murders themselves, but we see the Jimmy being in that Tupperware party where he's, he's so drunk and so grief stricken that he's unable to perform his um magic hand duties yeah she says he keeps missing she's like (laughs) what do you mean he keeps missing (laughs) you know what it means when he says he keeps missing there's only there's only one way to miss somewhere else yeah oh i thought he was just like stabbing the air (laughs) 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 he's just like figuring the air be like you like that baby I imagine like uh, probably like just accidentally like stabbing the thigh or the bed or whatever or the air I guess but <laughs> how drunk he is we do not know pretty drunk though because he does see a hallucination of his dead mother yeah he seemed very drunk so I don't think he got anywhere near that area <laughs> <laughs> that was a it's a it's a beautiful scene with Ethel's ghost though isn't it yeah and and like, yeah, and it it speaks to that sort of like that really tragic thing of how so much sort of trauma and addiction and and like destructive behavior is often inherited or is kind of passed through generations. And I think that this show does like quite a good example of just highlighting just mm-hmm. the sadness of it. Yeah, and the. Uh... The like the social currency of Tupperware as well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, did Dandy kill them with the Tupperware? No, but he certainly stole the Tupperware to keep all the blood that he took for the ladies fresh, so he could have another another bloodbath. What a great ad for Tupperware! <laughs> Truly, it keeps anything fresh. Even human blood. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my favorite part about that scene, though, tragic as it is, gruesome as it is, is still one of the Tupperware ladies, like, talking about discovering blowjobs and how she now got a new fridge because she gave her husband a blowjob. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You're so liberal. (laughs) So liberal. I wonder if there's like a millennial version of Tupperware parties. Because like, I can't imagine like the purpose of getting together with anyone to discuss Tupperware. Oh, that's definitely... Because well, now it's all on Instagram. It's like that... Um, what's that weird health cult? Where it's like... Jared the- Leto's cult? What? No, it's sort of a similar situation where you like a tri- like a pyramid scheme for health products, but also it seems kind of like a cult. <laughs> Moon juice? That seems like 
maybe something oh. like that oh i don't know i don't know which one you mean there are quite a lot of those i think it's quite a few <laughs> but yeah i feel like i feel like that the 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 whole mentality of the Tupperware party still exists. I think it's just, it's shifted to social media mm. and like social media influences, like in the way that, that everyone, you know, like micro influences. And yeah, and, cause that was the whole point of the Tupperware party is, is like, Hey, if you sell X, Y, Z Tupperwares to your friends, you'll get like this free Tupperware. And I mean, that's like, this is the basis of most influencing in today's world. Yeah. And that's also the same with Avon products, isn't it? Or was? Yes. Yeah. I was an Avon lady for like... No way! No, no, no. I was an Avon lady for like... (laughs) Well, I signed up and I was about to do it. And then I thought about it for like 30 minutes. And I was like, actually, this is shit. I don't want to do it. (laughs) I never actually sold any products I just thought about it and I was like oh no this is actually a pyramid scheme so I'm gonna not do it (laughs) because this is the thing with the Tupperware parties and with the Avon products Mm. is it is it is a kind of a massive scam because (laughs) they get people to to join these like to join in and invest their own money in buying these products to then sell on to friends and family and neighbors mm-hmm. with the you know the get with the, like it's it's a real struggle for the seller to make any profit because it's really hard to like move that much product on your own as a person just like knocking door to door or trying mm-hmm. to invite people to your house but they 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 hook people in by showing them all these ex- like success stories of um you know the the top sellers like this lady is making like thirty two thousand dollars a year just selling products and it's all just a it's just like a lie it's a scam it's like 90 percent of the people are still at the very like bottom tier struggling to get their things sold so sorry to put a dampener but (laughs) i mean yeah sorry to put a damp note on the bloodbath and the like obsessed yeah. murderer <laughs> i'm just sorry to ruin the mood here but you know these tupperware parties are a scam oh that's God. the real killing that was happening <laughs> <laughs> so dandy in his way is doing a is doing some community service he's trying to avoid he's trying to prevent women from getting scammed yeah and then he used all the tupperware so it went to a good home yes the blood went to a good home yeah, but like, and the Tupperware as well, because <laughs> she had a lot of Tupperware on that table. She was not going to sell all that Tupperware, but now at least someone's using it. That is true. And shall we move on to Dell, who is also very upset. Everyone's very upset in this episode, mm. but Dell is dealing with a lot of things. He is also a murderer. Everyone's a murderer. He's also in love with Andy. Andy has disappeared because he has been murdered, but Del doesn't know that. Yes. And he is on the brink of suicide. And let's chat about Del and Stanley's interaction. Because Stanley's, like you've mentioned in previous episodes, is very smart, very manipulative, but occasionally can be very dumb. Yeah, is this about the whipping his penis out in the middle of a field? 
I mean, there's manipulation, and then there's just I I don't know how do you call that like pretty like straight out sexual harassment because Del did not ask for that. No, <laughs> and guess because it was just like a power move. Be like, look, that is real big. It's such an odd scene. It's such a strange. I feel like there's there's something about Stanley that like he's a little bit of an exhibitionist, but in a way where he wa- he's a narcissist. So he wants people to know how smart he is, all the things <clears throat> that he's doing, how big his dick is. But he's choosing the moments to whip out his accomplishments, so to speak, very oddly. Because showing his massive penis to someone who's on the brink of killing themselves because he's done terrible things because he's closeted and Stanley has this bit of intimate information about him. It's a very oddly specific way of... I don't like I don't know how to phrase this without it being sound coming up weird, but it's a very weird way of parading his own quote unquote freakishness as a way of continuing to blackmail Dell. It is real there is something going on in that scene because like the part of the shame that Dell feels obviously is that he's He's, you know, feels very ashamed of his sexuality and he doesn't want mm. anyone to know about it. And I think part of what Stanley's doing is because, like, he's kind of the opposite. He's not ashamed by it. He's very, you know, open as, as you know, within, like, without realizing that, you know, it can put him in danger if, if he is too public about it. But I think it feels like he's sort of teasing him in that way of saying like you know look at me i'm i'm so confident about my sexuality I'm so confident about my monster penis like <laughs> <laughs> you know i i think it seems to me almost like he's trying to push Dell over the edge by being yeah. like you you will never be this you know look at me i'm just like I could whip my dick out in the middle of a field because, like, I have no reservations about who I am. Does that make sense? It does, but it doesn't. I think it's like that thing of... He doesn't have any reservations about who he is, but he still hides it. Because they are still, you know, not to go all, we live in a society, but they do live in a society. Yeah, but I think like he hides it as a matter of practicality, right? Mm. Because or just like self-preservation. Yeah, like he yeah. knows that that makes he puts himself in danger. But mm-hmm. I think in terms of himself, I don't mm-hmm. think he feels shame about it. No, you know? no, I agree with you there. I don't think he's ashamed of his sexuality at all. Um, I he's definitely not even ashamed of his gargantuan penis because he keeps whipping it out. <laughs> yeah but yeah and i think that i think that's it i think he's combining both like his confidence in all aspects of his sexuality mm. and who he is as a sexual person you know knowing that that really you know that is the opposite of, of dell who you know it's both feels very uncomfortable with his own sexuality but also it seems like just sex like he seems mm. like that every, every all of it is just like 
he's very incredibly conflicted about it, incredibly like self-blaming about it. And I don't know, it feels like it feels like this is a very deliberate manipulation of like knowing that Dell is is so <clears throat> like really in trouble mm. and just giving him that extra little push. That makes sense. And he does Dell does attempt suicide, but he's saved by Desiree, who we should maybe talk a little bit about on a lighter note, because Desiree is doing well. She's got a boyfriend. She's got a new boo. Ah! I'm just happy for her. And he's cute. I like him. He's just a, like a, I don't know. He's a whole mood. I love it. He is adorable and they are adorable together. And the way that he comes to pick her up at the circus and she like pretends like she doesn't know him. It's very, it's very teenage meet cute romantic it's adorable even like the fact that <laughs> like the moment he fell in love with her was when she was just like shaking her boobies on stage <laughs> like it's still cute though it's still sweet yeah oh because he like he loves her boobies in like a healthy like non-objectifying her way mm. it's like if i love you possible <laughs> i love your three boobies but also I'm into the the person that's behind the three boobies. The person behind the boobs. Yes. <laughs> and there is another romantic scene in this episode, which is not as... It's cute in its own right, but what did you make of Dot's love declaration to Jimmy? It's like her side of it's really sweet yeah. and sad and lovely. I have a really, really, really dumb question. Oh. Because <laughs> he says, I'm in love with someone else. Yeah. Maggie? Yeah, Maggie. Really? Yeah! <laughs> 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 oh my god, I knew you were going to say that. Uh, yeah, apparently. Apparently. I don't really get what's going on. Yeah, that feels quite contrived, like, for for plot reasons. Because also, he's kind of with Irma. Is it Irma now? Irma, lady? yeah. Yeah. Does he, mean, uh, does he mean Irma, then? Well, that's what I got a bit confused by, because I thought he didn't... He didn't really care about Maggie anymore. I mean, Jimmy is in a weird place right now, because he, because he is mostly drunk. And he's very into Irma right now, but he was literally like planning to run away with Maggie one episode ago. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if like Irma is is someone who he is just really fetishizing because he's well, just not in a good place. Yeah, that's really uncool what he's doing. Yeah. Just want to put that out there. <laughs> Although we have to say that the way he lets down Dot is really sweet. Like, if you're going to be rejected, that is a good way to be rejected. True. True. That old sorrow. Come on. Yeah. 
You could have a blonde and a brunette. And a brunette wife. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that's the selling point. I know. Bless them. It's a really tender, tender moment. But we should chat about maybe Jimmy and Irma and that that whole vibe. Because that is a whole vibe that's going on. It's a bad vibe. It's it's Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a bad vibe because like it would be really hot if you if we didn't know that Jimmy was like in a really bad place and sort of in a way is he taking advantage of her? It feels like he's taking advantage of her. Well, yeah, I think what's so what feels so off about it is really out of character for him because. Mm. Like, he's not this, like, overtly, like, sexual person who's just, you know, trying to get his fuck on constantly. <laughs> like, that's not the person that we've known up to this point. Is it not? But more, he's, like, but he's been much sweeter up until this point. He's been more about, you know, the wink, I want to get my, my date on. Yeah. <laughs> No, but like when he says like if you want it long and hard i need you soft and wide it's just like yep. what the fuck dude yep. that's uh <laughs> like drunk <to> yeah <laughs> that's what feels really out of character really gross mm-hmm. and like what the fuck are you doing this feels like a weird yeah and it's just like totally fetishizing this woman he doesn't care about her personality and yeah that's really cruel he's just fetishizing a body and for his own you know just so he can have his little like depression thing. Yeah, his little his little depression depression lover. It's not great for Irma. Yeah. No. It's not good for her. Like you just have somebody that's not gonna say something that fucking weird. <laughs> I mean she seems to be into it, so maybe I don't know, maybe that's what she likes. She seems to be into it, but also it's like, oh, you deserve like sober Jimmy. If Jimmy's gonna be into you, then like you deserve sober Jimmy, not this like drunk, depressed mess. Yeah, I'm just yeah, he's saying a lot of creepy shit about her, and I'm feeling very uncomfortable. Yeah. So shall we move on to our categories? Yes. What is your top quote of the episode? The the oh the penis line. Which no. one? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the you should you should see it when it's angry, like it's the fucking Hulk. I mm, <laughs> that was my favorite line as well. <laughs> Everyone's just being like a real creepster in this. Actually. <laughs> My this is like a very creepy horny episode. Like there's a lot of horny shit, but it just lands wrong because they say it or do it in a really creepy way. Yes. But I think my favorite line actually is it, that's that's definitely a very good one. But it's when Dandy kills and like makes a two-headed puppet, a human puppet of his mother and the Avon lady, and he's like, Mother, an Avon lady whose name I don't remember. <laughs> Yeah. What a little creep. And that actress is the Avon lady is played by the real estate agent from Murder House. Oh my god, is that her? 
Yeah. Oh my god. Well, we know her line like does not continue till murder house. <laughs> and what about the Boma Boner award for horniest moment of the episode? <laughs> yeah, it's the long and hard. Yeah. Do you want it long and hard? I need you soft and wide. Okay, calm down, Clarice. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) I just That was a very good delivery. You just gave me chills. I'm just trying to think over it. I don't like any of it. It really makes me feel really uncomfortable, that line. It's a very good line, to be fair. (laughs) I don't want that. I don't want those words to come out of a man's mouth. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. It's weird. Sexy talk. That's not very sexy because of the the situation. I think that moment would be really hot if it was, if he wasn't drunk and so depressed. I think that's the, well, like I gotta do something to get the mm, no. <laughs> like if you want the the long and hard penis, you got it. No. <laughs> it's not like a, a reward it's not like a friday treat <laughs> well i mean there's tiktok drama that is re- relevant to this conversation that we need to get in <laughs> okay. <off> the record. <laughs> okay but moving on from from the horniness to the feelings what was your favorite big feels for big drama moment i think i think dot like ex- expressing her love for Jimmy mm. was really beautifully done and just really sweet. Oh, she just cares for him, Jimmy. <laughs> and also the moment when Jimmy sort of accepts his mother's death when he sees Ethel's ghost. That was that was really 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 moving as well for me. And who wins in this episode, Paulson v. Paulson? I mean, neither of them, because oh. they got rejected. But in a nice way. Yeah. But I guess Beck, because she had it, she didn't really care. <laughs> she was like, whatever. Whatever's happening, I'm down with it. Yeah. And she was willing to do all of that for her sister. That's good commitment. Mm. Sisterly commitment. And did you pick up on any cinematic references this week? I, uh, I was the croquet set. Dandy's croquet set. Is that Heather's? Or am oh. I just... <laughs> that would be a cute Heather's reference if it is. I picked up on another one that's, well, in the title. The Tupperware Party Massacre. I think that's a pretty explicit reference to Slumber Party Massacre from 1982, which is like kind of a feminist slasher film from the 80s. It's written, it's written by women, it's directed by women. It's an entire franchise, actually, uh, that was always written and directed by women, which is kind of unique in that era. Um, so the first one is directed by Amy Holden Jones and written by Rita Mae Brown, who is known best as a feminist author. And it's just, it's very deadpan. It's very funny. There's the dude <laughs> who's the killer who has like a drill, a, a driller thing that he ki- tries to kill all the teenage teenage girls with. 
and it's got there's three films in the franchise and the second one is like a slasher musical with dream sequences where the driller killer the drill is also a guitar so he kills people with the guitar that has a drill at the end <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing. It. It's so good. Cool. <laughs> it's so good. There's also a scene in the first one where they uh there's like a bunch of bodies already lying around and they had ordered pizza. So one of the protagonists just kind of gets to eating the cold pizza on top of one of the dead bodies. Oh, uh, that's me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone's dead, but I'm still just like, mm, get me some pizza. Yeah. Very much same. And did you pick up on any insensitive historical references this week? Honestly, yeah, honestly, no. Um, the only thing would be the Avon uh, lady and the Tupperware party, which we kind of already discussed. I can tell you that the first Avon lady was Persis Foster Eames, or, or Albie. Sorry, she had four names. <laughs> She was born in 1836, and she was also a pioneer in getting women to become financially independent mm. by scamming them. <laughs> girl boss. <laughs> the, the origins of the girl boss industrial complex. I love it. Yeah, she was the world's first girl boss. <laughs> and look where it got us. Nowhere good. <laughs> And who would you say is the MVP of the episode? No one's doing good. <laughs> no. Dante's no doing well. I guess Dandy. Yeah, he's doing what he wants to be doing. So Dandy. Yeah, Dandy's girl bossing his life. Girl bossing. <laughs> Hashtag girl boss. Hashtag bloodbath. Dandy in Paris. <laughs> Season two of Emily in Paris. I would actually watch that. Goes and murders a bunch of French people and then takes like a cute selfie. <laughs> Isn't that basically Simon Killer, the Antonio Campos film? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Dandy would add that extra layer of um over the top Instagram micro influencer vibes where he's like oh this is me with my homemade blood bath bomb and this is my um pastel colored tupperware that goes matches with my silk trousers and my silk neck chief is that what they call it neck yeah neck chief neckachi neckachi i don't know how to call it <laughs> scarf is the word that i'm looking for <laughs> His scarf, his Elmez scarf, <laughs> <laughs> and he'd like he'd like write those cute captions that are like, "Oh, s'il vous plaît, murder," <laughs> <laughs> wink, sunglasses emoji. Very dandy. So, what can we expect from the next episode? Well, in the next episode, we're gonna get a little bit of backstory on one of the characters. I won't say who, so it can be a surprise. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've seen it, and I actually, I'm like, who? <laughs> Tune in next week. XOXO, Gossip Girl. <laughs>
imagine if I don't. There's no outro this time. I'm done. I'm walking out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll do the outro. <laughs> We'll be back next Wednesday with a recap of American Horror Story Free Show. In the meantime, send us your thoughts on Twitter. Follow us at The Next Supremes Pod. Also, I am at Clarice Liu. And I am at Anna B. Demented. Gossip Girl. XOXO. Dandy. XOXO. The Dandy Diaries. The Dandy Diaries. Like the Carrie Diaries. Yeah. That was a bad show. <laughs> I still watched all of it. I watched uh, too much. <laughs> hey, uh, you seen Andy around? Well, since the last time you came by, Luke. Never fall in love with a hustler. It's my advice. Eat.